1: and inconvenient and delayed care for patients. And on top of all of this, skyrocketing drug prices and increasingly unaffordable out-of-pocket patient expenses. For decades, our nation's political and medical leaders have talked about fixing the American healthcare system, and yet the problems are now greater than in the past.
0: Every other industry that is inefficient and ineffective has experienced disruption. Healthcare will be no different. The question is whether the solutions will come from inside the healthcare system Or be imposed on it. We'd like to invite you to listen to our new podcast, Fixing Healthcare with Dr. Robert Pearl and Jeremy Kaur. Each episode will feature one of the top leaders and innovative thinkers in healthcare today. The show's format is simple the guests will present a roadmap for fixing American healthcare's biggest problems. And from there, Jeremy and I will scrutinize the plan and help listeners separate fixes that have the potential to succeed
2: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Monique Dufour. Today we have a somewhat different kind of interview um, happening today. We're talking with the editors and contributors to the website Somatosphere. Somatosphere describes itself as a collaborative website covering the intersections of medical anthropology, science and technology studies, cultural psychiatry, psychology, and bioethics. You can find them online at somatosphere.net. I have three guests today. The first is Eugene Reichel. He's the editor of Somatosphere, and he's also an assistant professor in the Department of Comparative Human Development at the University of Chicago. Second, we have Todd Myers. He's the associate editor at Somatosphere, and he is assistant professor of medical anthropology at Wayne State University. Listeners may remember Todd from a previous interview on New Books in Medicine about his wonderful book, *The Clinic and Elsewhere: Addiction, Adolescence, and the Afterlife of Therapy*. Finally, we have Emily Yates Dor. She's a member of the Editorial Collaborative and Assistant Professor of Anthropology at the Amsterdam Institute for Social Science Research. So we're talking about a website on the New Books Network today. It's not a book, but it does exemplify how websites are becoming significant places and formats for scholarly discourse and exchange. In many ways, they too have become bookish insofar as they express long thoughts, they rely on expertise, they engage in collective conversations within scholarly communities, and they provoke our thought. Um, In our conversation today, we're going to talk about the subject matter of somatosphere, how it addresses topics in science, medicine, and anthropology. And I also aim for us to explore how these digital environments are transforming how we do scholarly work, Um, including how we conceive of it, how we create it, how we circulate it, and what it means. Welcome to to the New Books Network, to my guests. Hello.
3: Hi. Hi.
2: So, uh, Somatosphere is a very successful example of scholarly engagement on a digital platform. And I wanted to start with you, Eugene. And I'm wondering if you might take us back to the early days of the project. I understand that it began in 2008. Um, What was the status of digital scholarship at the time? And why did you dive in?
3: Well, um, I mean, I think there was uh, there were a number of um, kinds of um, platforms where anthropologists were regularly going to and and having conversations and um, doing a kind of work that seemed to be um somewhat akin to what has been called the corridor talk, talk right other kinds of conversations that are not necessarily mm-hmm. as formal as the ones that take place in um in academic journals and other public uh, venues of publication but were somewhat more kind of worked out and more formal than um just uh, uh, everyday kinds of uh, conversations with colleagues so savage minds um was one that had been um on online for several years. Um, I think that when we started uh, neuroanthropology, uh, a site uh, run by Dan Lendy and Greg Downey uh, had been up for, maybe it started the same year that we started. Um, And one of the things that, uh, you know, initially um, attracted me to the idea of starting a site was just the fact that there wasn't anything for uh, medical anthropology of, the, of this of this kind at the time, um, and um, it was it, it wasn't really a, a matter of you know any much more high highly developed ideas than that. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, one one of the ideas that that was there from the very beginning was the notion that this should be a place for a kind of a, Interdisciplinary forum, right, or something where that would center on medical anthropology, but would connect it with other kinds of um, other disciplines, other uh, methodological approaches, which uh, came to meet around questions of um, knowledge production, science, biomedicine, uh, uh, treatment, healing. These kinds of these kinds of issues. Um, so that was that was that was really it. Um, I can speak a little bit more about how it, how it took form. Um, So basically I, in uh, around July, 2008, I contacted a small group of colleagues, Todd, um, a few others, uh, Matt Wolfmeyer, who's at university of uh, uh, California, Santa Cruz, Aaron Koch, who's at now at the university of uh, Kentucky uh, Ann Kelly, who is at the university of Exeter now, Stephanie Lloyd, who's at Laval, um, and maybe a couple of others, and just proposed the idea of starting a a, a blog, a web blog on uh, anthropology, medical anthropology. Um, And for, you know, what became very clear early on was that as soon as you start one of these sites, um, you know, there's an immediate pressure to continue kind of putting up new material, right? Um, It's been discussed elsewhere that, uh, the kind of life the, the shelf life of any um, <laughs> of these online kind of materials is quite short, at, at least insofar as people expect something after a certain um, fairly short time frame right mm-hmm. so you have to walk you have to walk this kind of maintain a balance between um, producing something that will keep keep people coming back relatively quickly. And then on the other hand, what I really wanted to avoid was allowing it to become just kind of content, you know, in the the, the sort of commodified sense of Mm -hmm. we'll just put anything up there just to keep people coming in. So the the first year and a half, really, I spent a lot of time doing the kind of work um, that sometimes gets a little elevated by calling it curation. Uh Um, (laughs) I'm a little ambivalent about that term, but, you know, a lot of a lot of pointing people in the direction other things that were going on online, Um, a lot of kind of posting of small things. And then also at the same time, I think it became clear to me um, that at least I, I wasn't the sort of person who was able to, um, you know, write uh, quickly off the cuff um, kinds of uh, contributions of the, of the sort that the folks at at Savage Minds, for example, have been really, really successful at Um, and that, that what would, would be needed was a little bit more kind of editorial structure. Um, and so what we started to do was to invite, um, invite contributions in certain genres. So we started doing book reviews quite early on. We started doing um, uh, posts uh, of putting together recent um, articles in the, we called them the journals in the, in this, in these areas. Um, And then about six months later, we did another call for contributors, Kalman Applebaum, uh, University of uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee joined, and Sadek Rahimi, who is now at University of Saskatchewan. And both of them um, came on, on board to do a series of posts around particular topics that they were working on and thinking about. Um, So, again, this was another way to address this issue of sort of how do you structure um, things within this new, within this platform that really we don't, we don't know what we can do, you know, anything with it, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Todd, do you want to jump in at all here? Uh.
4: Yeah, of course. Um, Well, I guess to the first part of... um, Monique's question. Thank you. Yes. We, we, about the uh, site being a success. (laughs) I mean, my God. Um, you know, I think this is part of the existential anxiety of, of a website like this, even from the very beginning. Um, you know, one of the things that we tried to do, um, uh, when it first started was to sort of create a resource, you know, call for papers, conference announcements. Um, and then when it evolved into this other form where these, um, these sort of short series or short essays Mm -hmm. or, Essays in process were being posted on the site, as well as these book reviews that were um, coming out very close to the publication date of the books. And that's one of the things we tried to do early on is kind of utilize this medium um, because we were able to, first of all, convince graduate students that this was a great place to write book reviews for the first time um, and they would turn them around. Um, but it was also, uh, we really had the advantage of being able to to be the first kind of review of a particular text. And we were finding to our surprise that publishers were not only happy with this, but they were, you know, taking quotes from these reviews and posting mm-hmm. on, you know, the, the, um, the book pages on their websites. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of a nice way to reinforce kind of what we were doing because, you know, a major problem with an effort like this is developing some kind of trust early on. You know, when you, when you take time out of your, out of your sort of scholarly life to, you know, sit down and write a review, or to you know, to type out an essay or a few thoughts that you know maybe are not you know fully formulated or you know really really kind of I don't know provisional. Um, you know, you 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 have to sort of trust that these things don't go into a void or they go into a form where they're just going to be you know taken and, and and misused in some way. And so I think that was part of the effort very early on is to kind of develop some trust and also work on follow through for these things. So we would have. Sort of fresh content all the time, and that we would, you know, somehow be able to create a conversation that wasn't happening elsewhere mm-hmm. and not just sort of reproducing the same form that we were seeing on other websites, whether they were blogs or kind of online journals or whatever, but also, um, something that wasn't happening in the journals themselves, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, at least for my part as the book reviews editor, uh, for the first five years of the, of the site, um, you know it was it was turning those things around quickly in order to kind of alert readers of what was being published but also you know to to sort of you know begin to kind of shape a conversation about new scholarship as it becomes new uh, create that as a resource so yeah. this is sort of yeah. uh, just to add a little bit of detail to what Eugene has already said and um, I think that was really part of the the effort in the
3: beginning uh-huh so- yeah absolutely and i i, I think uh, go ahead Oh, no, please continue. No, I was just going to um, just follow up on, on a couple of the things that Todd said. Um, you know, I, th- I think this idea of establishing trust and bringing with, with our readers and the contributors um, was really a central issue for the whole site, right? I mean, with, with these kinds of efforts, in some ways, you have to uh, um, convince people um, and, you know, and, and really make clear that, that this is something that's going to stay around for a while, right? That this is not an effort that's going to, this is not something that's going to disappear after uh, a couple months, yeah. um, which, you know, we've seen plenty of um, efforts like that uh, online. And it's totally, you know, that's not, not surprising.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, that where there's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of uh, effort goes into it at the, at the beginning and then, and it doesn't necessarily hit its stride or it can continue. So just convincing people, making it clear that this is something that's here to stay, at least for some um, length of time, <clears throat> and that there's, you know, a, a kind of seriousness to it.
4: Well, and frankly, a,
3: I'm, a really important, you know. I'm,
4: I'm still tickled and amazed every time people post things
3: on the site.
4: Because the yeah. seriously, they're yeah. actually doing things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every post is a sort of a minor victory. Uh. And I, I know we're going to probably talk about some of the the series and different things yes. that's going on recently, but yeah, I mean this is this has really been the case all the way up to sort of the present moment, where you know yes. just the effort that other people make into shaping the site through these these contributions is to me kind of astounding because you know I know Eugene and I have talked a lot about this over the years, just even trying to understand the genre in which work is being produced on this website yes. is. is is kind of difficult to to nail down, um, and for a lot of people, I mean, for people who are established and well recognized scholars, I mean, it's wonderful that they contribute, and we're very happy, um, and and again, kind of amazed. Um, but also, I think for scholars who are in the very early stages of their careers, you know, to take time and energy to to do really uh, truly creative and cutting edge work through the site. And to also have some kind of confidence that this counts for something beyond just the, the, you know, the shelf life of this, of the site or the Mm -hmm. particular post that this contributes in a, in a really robust way to, um, to the field or fields. You mentioned quite a bit of them in the beginning, but quite a few of them in the beginning. Um, but I think that's also part of it. It's like that. It's not just the trust that, you know, you, you better not take a screenshot of your post quickly, just in case the site, you know, is down tomorrow, Um, but, you know, but rather like that this will have a lasting effect in one's own scholarship that, you know, that this, this will make some kind of small little etch in, you know, in your sort of scholarly record in a good way. Um, I think when, when people contribute in that way, just, it's, it's, um, it's really heartening. So
2: that's a fascinating way to put it. I'm wondering if this would be a good time to bring in Emily, um, Emily, you came in you how long have you been a part of Somatosphere? Well, that's interesting because of course,
5: uh, understanding what makes one a part of the journal is itself an interesting question That's great. Um, I, so, but I can tell you so um, I came to the journal for for the first time in uh, when I was writing my dissertation, so this was back in two thousand and nine, and my research was looking um I was looking at how the diagnosis of obesity in Guatemala intersected with these other techniques of social standardization like race and class and gender and citizenship. And I was having, you know, um, part of the PhD trajectory, you find an identity for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was having a really hard time, maybe because I was studying attempts at classification and the failure of those attempts at at classifying myself. Um, and so I, I was really exciting for me when I came, um, when I first encountered somatosphere, discovering this like fabulous online site, bringing together work of others who are similarly interested in working outside or at least alongside traditional academic divides. So they weren't just collaborating across conventional networks, but also taking up the question of what it meant and what it did to collaborate in experimental ways. And I've been a regular reader and contributor to somatosphere. I've been reading it since 2009 and contributing shortly after that. Um, and uh, just as another note, because I, I walked into the PhD workroom and I asked earlier today, because I knew we were doing this, and I said, you guys, tell me about somatosphere. What what do you like? And and, and the students looked up and they were, you know, they're just like, oh, in the journals, it saves me so much time. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I'm so, you know, it's just, I, I can stay so up to date. And I think there's kind of a sense that there's, you know, the kind of, Production of scholarship is so you know there's so much that happens and so here's this kind of uh, you know other people doing the work of organizing you know, of organizing it um, they were all just like oh, it's it's uh, you know such a useful resource to have mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and so what what is your relationship with the um, project now
5: okay so um, yeah uh, let's see it was a couple years back I think it was 2013. Thomas Matza and Harris Solomons, they launched this amazing series called Common Places. Mm-hmm. And Common Places was set out to itemize the technological present. And regular somatosphere readers can probably relate to looking forward to Mondays when the next item of the cabinet would be released. And it really was just a terrific series. And so um, as Common Places was going on, there was a business meeting at the AAAs where the chair of the meeting asked, you know, does anyone have ideas for a series to follow up Common Places? And so, at the time, I had done earlier field work in a village, but I had moved out and was doing field work at the UN. And what happens at the UN is really no less dizzying than what happens anywhere else. But I no longer had the geopolitical boundaries of the nation state to rely on when explaining my field work to other anthropologists. And I was really grappling with how our field organizes its knowledge. So we live in these like incredibly complex, entangled worlds where we just can't map it out, and you know, it, we, we're never going to map it all. So. Um, you know, kind of entering this post-representational mode of anthropology. How do we undertake the disentangling that needs to happen for writing and storytelling to proceed? What tools do we have? What repertoires can we draw on um, when making our cases? And so kind of at this meeting, I like raised my hand and said, I have this idea, um, which is, I, you know, let's, let's talk about the ethnographic case. And, um, From the very start, Christine Labuski, who's an anthropologist at Virginia Tech, she joined me in this project, and um, we've been gathering creative thinkers to work through and think through how case-making in anthropology and in kind of ethnographic case-making relates and departs from case-making in other fields, so the medical case, the legal case, the detective case, Um, and, you know— hopefully this isn't like too, too kind of lofty, but we're really trying to work through like the art and science of storytelling in some ways, um, kind of thinking about how our field uses, um, uses like particular cases to make general knowledge or, you know, moves away from the desire to make general knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so we're halfway through the series. It's called the ethnographic case. It comes out on Mondays every other week. Um, and, We're really in the series. We've really tried to bring together um, the work of senior and junior scholars um, to draw kind of as diverse of a range of contributors into the conversation. And um, Eugene and Todd can add what they think about it if if they want. But one of the things that's been really interested. Um, that's been interesting for me is seeing virtually with every post that the case is made to be something different than what it was the case before. Uh-huh. Um, and so we have this kind of very Baroque um, assemblage right now. It's coherence without replication. It's texture, not pattern. Um, but I've learned a lot about, um, I think in in editing it, uh, I've really learned about like the diversity that exists, not just in what we study as anthropologists, but also in how we study it.
2: Um, Eugene or Todd, did you want to? Do you have any reflections on the ethnographic case?
3: Well, I I think just generally, it's a great example of um, what I think can work the best in in this kind of a on this kind of a site in this kind of a platform, and that's to say that um, you know someone comes up with an idea of something that they want to um, that that uh, is a you know a, a concern to them of at the at the moment, um, and that can be worked through in this kind of editorial curatorial mode of bringing other people together to um, to uh, think about it, um, and that is doesn't necessarily fit very well within the um, uh, platform of a, a traditional um, print journal. Um, I mean, it could, but the also takes advantage really nicely of, uh, some of the, um, opportunities, uh, offered by this uh, medium. So there's this beautiful, uh, um, bookcase, um, that was uh, designed specifically for the, um, the series. And this follows up again on the series that, um, Thomas and Harris made where there was a, um, a, a series of cubbies, um, Produced uh, for the uh, kind of a, a, a separate page to enter into this uh, series of, um, of, uh, of posts, mm-hmm. um, and I think that very nicely um, uses to its advantage the, 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 the particular um, uh, what you know what you can do online in this kind of a setting that you couldn't necessarily elsewhere. Absolutely. Uh,
2: I wanted to just jump in for a second and um, uh, just elaborate on what you pointed out. So, in the ethnographic case on the website and in um, the com- in the Commonplace series, it's it makes great use of visual rhetoric and design as well. Who's responsible for that design, and how did that become integrated in your vision for how you would express and share the ideas through the digital medium?
1: Right. So we
3: started out. Um this has to do with a shift that we made in uh, 2011, um, where we um, uh, hired M- Martin Audens, uh who's a web uh, designer and also just a, a graphic designer, to refurbish, redesign the whole site. So until that time, we had been uh, running off of uh, Blogger. It's a Blogger site, quite basic. Uh, and Martin redesigned the site, um, uh, on the WordPress um, platform, and did really a beautiful job of um, not, not only making the the site I think aesthetically uh, engaging, but making um, a kind of a, a a space that could be built upon, right? Um, and that would not, first of all, look dated very quickly. Um, I think you know, I think it still looks quite. Uh, um, it, it It doesn't look to to me that that dated uh, four years later um but also that could be again built upon in this in these various ways so we had so martin worked with thomas and um and uh, Harris to build this uh special page for uh commonplaces uh, um and then for the ethnographic case um you had a different uh designer. I don't know if you want to talk about process at all, Emily.
5: Um, well, we, we, it was really important for us to not, um, I love Thomas and Harris's, I love the the cabinet, but we wanted, you know, we wanted something different. So we went to a different designer and had them, um, we sort of talked about our ideas and kind of the importance of the particular, the importance of, you know, kind of texture and, and, uh, and they came up with the design and then we, um, uh, we uh, roll it out every every week. So um, the designer uh, puts in a new case to our book, our expanding bookcase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, like we had all these kind of lofty ambitions that we'd be incorporating, you know, video and um, all kinds of textual images. And in some ways, we're a little bit limited by our own technological <laughs> capacities. But um, but at least kind of the the uh, mad. Uh, the imagination for what we wanted
2: it to be is, is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, these two things that we've just been talking about are examples of series, which is an editorial category on somatosphere. How did the series emerge, and could you share some of the other examples of the kind of series that you produced?
4: Sure, Todd, do you want
3: to start with us? Yeah,
4: sure. Um, yeah, you know, we have different kinds of series, like – Uh, really the first one that was kind of a big project series was the transcription series, um, where we basically created a kind of mirror platform of the somatosphere site in order for uh, a different set of editors to um, to work on uh, different problems related to HIV and HIV research. Um, And that's still kind of ongoing. It's a little bit of a slower process, to say the least. I mean, it's (laughs) You know, there hasn't been a lot of uh, activity on that site, but it's still there. Um, and those editors are still, you know, very much, I guess, um, somehow involved. Um, but then we've had these other series like um, like The Ethnographic Case, which, just so I can say it on the podcast, which is fantastic. I think these are just absolutely thrilling. And I have to admit, when the first one, Tomas and Harris had the first sort of series, I kept thinking, I hope they ask me to contribute to this. I, I had to drop very very unsubtle hints that I wanted to contribute as well because I mean these things are for me they're just super exciting to see and I think they're just they're absolutely lovely and they do create this this energy and anticipation about um what's to come on the site each week and it brings people back and and I think it does form really fantastic um conversations beyond the site. And what Emily's doing is just, is great. Um, And then we have these sort of occasional series as well, like the, um, our foreign correspondent series, which has kind of gone back and forth over the years. And really was something that we started early on where we wanted to at least have some space for an appraisal of work that was being produced, not in English. Um, And, you know, we we're still very much invested in that. And then we have these series that, um, have kind of maybe just a longer bit of a, a life on the site. Um, and it really depends on who's contributing and who's editing those series. But we had this nice top of the heap series, which was basically um, more or less kind of a curated series where people were talking about, you know, what are they reading and why. Um, some of them are just fantastic. Rabinow did one with um, one of his uh, former students, Joshua Craze, um, the one that Warwick Anderson did which I think was the last one that was posted. Um, it was uh, just fantastic. And then we have some new series like the book forums, where we've really tried to retool things we were all already doing, I think, quite well, like the book reviews, and create more of a, a conversation about a recent work. Um, and the first one was Jeremy Green's um, uh book generic um and it had some great contribute nancy campbell contributed joe dumit uh Stellan x it was it was a it was a great form and i think it really set the tone for kind of what was possible with these more occasional series that were going to be ongoing um right. so so yeah they're, they take different forms and they have their own kind of you know, they have their own kind of unique life cycle and i think that's one of the advantages of a site like this which is when someone gets inspired or has an idea and things start to begin to coalesce around an idea that the site can accommodate that and and to also create a forum you know a forum for sort of new work that is that doesn't necessarily have to toe the line of work that's come before um and also a platform for that work um that's you know not so technically cumbersome that you know only one or two experts can go behind the scenes and post a you know post a um you know, a a contribution or edit it or, you know, refashion it. I mean, that was one of the things we really wanted was not to move so far away from the blog format for contributors. So that, I mean, not to, not to mention the kind of editorial labor that happens behind the scenes, but wanted to, you know, really make it user friendly for the people who are contributing. So all these things kind of come together around these series. And I think we think in terms of series, um, Mm -hmm. In the site, yeah. and we think in terms of like what kinds of continuities between different posts can we create, and then when they sort of peter out, then that's fine, and something else comes up, and mm-hmm. it's, it's really been the it's really been the um, the pattern. So
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think um, it's I mean, t- Todd really deserves all the credit for this uh, um, book forum series, which has been you know I think really fantastic, um, and and you know not only in taking advantage of the kind of um, uh, potentialities of this kind of, of uh, site, but really forging a, a slightly different kind of a genre that does not, you know, it's appeared elsewhere, but um, that we're trying to um, develop. Um, and uh, those, I, I you know, I, I hear from a lot of people that they're really you know enjoying them and looking forward mm-hmm. forward to the next ones. Um, and so, just wanted to acknowledge the amount of work that I <laughs> <laughs> put into that behind you the scenes. You can't seat. see me shaking um, my head. No,
4: <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. No. I mean, we have we have a book. I'm but, but oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Go on. Go on. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say we have a book forum coming out today. Um, d- later on today, um, Richard Keller's. Uh, new book, Fatal Isolation, on the, the heat wave in Paris in 2003. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's an, a, it is a, I'm not going to, no spoilers other than it's fantastic. Um, it's just this collection of historians and anthropologists and science studies folks reflecting on his book, not in this kind of, you know, um, kind of book review critical way, but really using it to, you know, make these small, in some cases, highly personal essays about um, the book and what it what it sort of signals and how it connects to different concepts of disaster and catastrophe. And I think these forms have actually been so nice and not only obviously promoting work of people who are doing, you know, really fine work and work that should deserves and is getting lots of attention and deserves it. Um, but also like being able to create something around that, that um, that might actually even take that work into the domains of other projects that are, that people are doing, those contributors that are, you know, providing these kinds of commentaries and they're, they're, they're really inventive. And, um, I mean, this is also, if you could probably tell from the tone of my voice, I mean, I'm also just always amazed at the quality and the, and the, um, the scope of these contributions. I mean, they're just, they're just stunning. Mm -hmm. Um, I am I'll leave it there. That just sounds like I'm. Rarely <laughs> thought about well, how good the contributions are, but that's really sort of my point.
2: As you're talking, I was going back to the beginning of the conversation where Eugene you noted you noted and and Todd as well that it it was coming as sort of a, a pleasant surprise that this was not going to be an ephemeral endeavor and that you were willing to commit and that it it maintained a kind of, of life and it evolved over time and um You know, it occurs to me that there's a few reasons I'm hearing that this may have happened. One is the astonishing way that you share responsibility and give away responsibility and opportunities for creativity to your contributors. How did that evolve? I mean, you have people who are not only sending things into you, but really generating unique kinds of formats and um, opportunities um, editorially on their own. How, how did you? I mean, that takes a lot of courage as an editor, first of all. But it seems to have grown organically that way.
3: Yes, I mean, you, well, let's let's be honest. Pragmatically speaking, uh, there's no way that uh, it's it's it one can uh-huh. do all this oneself. Oh, uh, Gene, you know,
2: this isn't your full time. So it would be job. a
3: more than more than a full time job, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so part of it came. Out of, of trying to figure out how does one how does one balance this with a, a scholarly career, right? And how do you? And one of the, the ways is to, to to spread the the responsibility and, and the work around. Um, and the way to get people excited about doing this is not to give them you know assignments, but to give them opportunities to develop uh, ideas that they're excited about, right? mm-hmm. um, or at least to give them certain parameters and say. Here, do you know? Do something you know interesting within in this framework, and I think we'll, one of the things we've done, we've been pretty good at, is to develop a kind of different set of kinds of posts and kinds of um, niches that different people can fill within the site. Um, which, um, so so, we have a lot of uh, graduate students who who have helped out in various kinds of, uh, um, uh, in various capacities, uh, um, in some cases working within a fairly defined set of, uh, uh, kind of guidelines that we give them, um, in part because that's what they're, you know, that's what they're asking for. So, um, and in other cases with a much more open one, um, and there's a possibility of kind of building, you know, moving from one to the other. And, um, I think that's, uh, uh, been quite I think that's 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 worked at least to some some degree Mm -hmm. um Emily do you have anything to add to that
2: or thoughts about that have we lost Emily oh okay I I just heard you I I heard
5: I heard my name mentioned and then I didn't hear anything else after that
3: Mm -hmm. oh I'm sorry I was just wondering if you had anything to add to to that um or just to g- generally yeah. to this question of why, you know, how we distribute our um, responsibility and work uh, for the site.
5: Well, I was going to say that one thing that we could talk about um, is the interesting um, way that the technolo- that the kind of digital technology brings together such a range of audiences, not just people at different levels in yeah. their career, but also just kind of internationally. Um, so, you know, uh, it's been really interesting for me. So um, I'm in an anthropology department in Amsterdam where our working language is English, but where people come from all over. So my closest colleagues are Swedish and Italian and Spanish, Peruvian, Indian, Danish, German, and, of course, Dutch. Um, and it, and it's been interesting how many, you know, I, I traveled to Bremen, Germany, and I um, met Mel, uh, Melanie Brockerman kind of coincidentally because she's been organizing um, an uh, in the journal section and, you know, I I travel elsewhere, you know, kind of people, um, the, the readership is so broad. People know somatosphere and kind of can follow along. so it, it does an interesting thing for kind of, um, bringing together lots of different audiences, um, and just to add one other thing about this is that I was, I was um, trained uh, in an American anthropology program and I first learned about decolonizing knowledge as an undergraduate in, in the U.S. But now having worked outside of the U.S. for several years, I'm really struck by how often American anthropologists speak in terms of a we that excludes all the diverse and creative work happening outside um, of the U.S. And so I, I really like Samantha since, since I have been reading it. I think since the beginning, you mentioned Ann Kelly and others. That were part of your initial conversations, but they've emphasized the importance of including a broad international network of academics in the conversation. So there's a, obviously a lot more work that can be done. But you know, I, I think that yeah. as editors, you've done a nice job of reflecting how rich and interesting anthropological traditions and debates are outside of, mm. of the U.S. So
3: yeah, we've 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 worked on that pretty um, consciously. Um, Todd mentioned the. Uh, the um, foreign correspondence what's it called the, the foreign correspondence uh series and that's that's part of that effort um and also just an effort to include more people from you know places other than north america in our um in our editorial group i, I think there's a lot we can do a lot better with that um and th- there's a kind of related set of issues around trying to um balance on the one hand keeping in some ways medical anthropology at the center of things, but um at the same time connecting to other disciplines. Um and that's something I think we've also worked on quite a bit. Um especially connecting to history, um, connecting to well STS I don't know that but you know it's been pretty much taken up and metabolized by this point in uh <laughs> anthropology but um connecting to to cultural psychiatry um, and, and you know some other directions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I was it was really heartening to hear uh, your comment early on, Emily, that you um, found the site uh, exciting because it was uh, a, a not kind of strictly disciplinary space. Um, even you know even at that time, so that's 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 great to hear.
2: Mm-hmm. this this relates to another question that I was going to ask you Um, so I'm in a history department and my training is in writing and history and STS and I've been I'm not an anthropologist by training at all and um, I've been a regular reader of your site for years and so um, maybe I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about the ways that somatosphere is and is not um, a project that's in medical anthropology
3: Mm. Mm. Todd, uh, you want to try that one? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. This is, this is, this is, called, this is called, uh, sharing responsibility,
4: uh-huh. I guess.
3: This is sharing responsibility. This
4: is, this is also called sharing too much. I mean, <laughs> <hard>. <laughs>
2: over-sharing.
4: this is definitely oversharing. I mean, in, in some ways, I, I mean, I've, I think probably the thing that, I mean, like, I'm just going to sort of speak in a, my sort of more personal relationship to the site and, the effort there from the beginning is I think the thing that's kept me involved in the site is that the site has allowed for my own kind of promiscuous relationship with anthropology to come through <laughs> as I move through the history of medicine, the history of science and through philosophy and sort of big, you know, air quotes um, and anthropology in different aspects of anthropology. I mean, I, I feel like that's, you know, the site has kind of allowed for, I guess for me to sort of feel my way through my own work in relation to the site. Um, so like a lot of the people who, you know, we sort of talk about contributions with somehow reflect these, for at least for me, these sort of different people that I want to be talking with and engaged with anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, as a kind of personal connection to that, that I guess disciplinary soundness of anthropology or medical anthropology in the site. I mean, I've never really fe- I felt that in fact, actually it's always been the inverse of that. It's always been the kind of turning that inside out in terms of who should be in a conversation. And I think especially with some of these um, these really nice projects like the ethnographic case and like the, the common places, that there is, there is almost this, it's not overdetermined, but there's this attention to include people who are working in these different modes. Like, for instance, I've never known exactly how to call Emily Martin's work, you know. I think of it very much as anthropology, but at the same time, I find it as a huge resource as somebody working in the history of medicine and science. Um, so, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who fit this profile of not fitting a profile who contribute mm-hmm. to the site. And I think that's helped to, um, you know, that's helped to
3: keep, keep the site kind of porous in a way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's my yeah, effort. That's a question. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll add, I mean, just, just personally, you know, in the period of time that, that I've been working on the site, I've been in, um, situated in interdisciplinary settings. Um, So I did a postdoc in transcultural psychiatry, McGill, and was also involved in the social studies of medicine department over there. And now I'm in um, comparative human development here at Chicago. So to me, you know, it's been kind of a, it's made a lot of sense to think about this in terms of how to um, kind of connect disciplinary orientations and methods to, um other shared uh concerns. Um and I don't know that I have a you know a, a clear kind of answer, but it, mm-hmm. it it feels like the site is a nice is is a useful place for thinking through those kinds of questions, right? We even we have a, a one of our series um that's one of the kind of uh ongoing ones is uh about this question of collaboration and uh interdisciplinarity um particularly saying on some of the questions surrounding the relationship between the science, uh, social sciences and biosciences and this issue of um kind of post representational anthropology as uh as 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 you put it emily um but uh so so the the point point in in some ways is that you know when we come upon these issues um in our own thinking uh, um, we have often. I mean, I've, I've kind of turned to the site and said, "Well, let's make a series about this. Uh-huh. And this is a way. This is a way to think this through. Right? Yeah. This is a way to think it through with other uh, colleagues." Um, yeah.
2: So it's become integrated in your own scholarly life um, in the way that you approach or think about ideas.
4: Uh, if you're asking me, yes, uh-huh. yes,
2: uh-huh. <laughs> that is fascinating.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think you know. I, I, I think it's always a. I think it's always a struggle. I think the, there's there's always a kind of a struggle to maintain um, a balance in terms of time, time, and uh, you know these kinds of uh, just more more pragmatic issues. But in terms of um, how to orient oneself generally in the, in the, in the, in the discipline, in the field, in terms of kind of questions one's asking, you know, for me, it's been, it's been central to that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Emily, do you
5: Yeah, I was thinking about it. Sorry, was being, yeah. I was thinking about it, not just being part of my professional life, but like a little bit part of my personal life. I don't, you know, I haven't had a um, a smartphone for that long, <laughs> But I have a smartphone, and um, I've just had it for, I've I've had it actually since my first child was born. I now have, he's now three. And I've had, my children are, I have two small children, and they're terrible sleepers. And so I spend a lot of time lying next to them, waiting for them to fall asleep, because it comforts them. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of the book. I love the book. I just have a book out. I think it's, a book is great. But I don't have that much, you know, often I have like, you know, 20 minutes and just, you know, just kind of my phone on me. So it's, re- it's actually, like, quite lovely to be able to keep up to, up to date intellectually. Like, the, the pieces are short. I can, like, you know, there's a couple or, you know, one a day. And, and I can kind of just read them and, and think, okay, this is, you know, this is something to uh, stay engaged with, um, you know, in those kind of wee hours when my children aren't sleeping. It's
2: so. hmm. lovely. Um oh. Uh, I'd like to move ahead and talk a little bit about where you see um, the future of somatosphere going. Um, I hope that it's it stays it continues to stay alive and that you maintain the energy to keep it going but um what do you wh- how do you see it continuing to evolve um and where would you like to see it go? Eugene, could you start us?
3: Sure, I mean one of the things that um uh, in thinking about this uh, you know I've been thinking for a while about How to make it, how to make the site into something that um, I would, you know, and others of us who have been involved in quite uh, closely be able to um, disengage or go do, you know, other things without the whole thing um, disappearing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one step in that direction was uh, putting together this editorial collaborative, Mm -hmm. which we did about a year and a half. Ago, um, so the idea is that that's a that's a larger group of people that were then were involved in the site before, um, and the, the 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 notion there is, is for it not to function a little bit differently than the usual editorial um, uh, advisory board of a journal. The notion here is really that it's a set of resources. The, the, the people who are involved are meant to be much more actively involved in, um, developing their own series, uh, in in developing their own, um, uh, 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 developing really the, the ideas for the, the, the direction of the, of the site all around. Um, so, uh, the other thing we've done this about for about, um, half a year, we've had a managing editor as well, who's, uh, Deanna Day, who's, uh, Doing an excellent job running the kind of day to day aspects of the site, posting and um, doing a lot of uh, copy editing and uh, managing particular, um, a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, so part of it has been a matter of kind of figuring out just how to keep this infrastructure of the site alive and going um, so that we can think about these questions. Um, and and that's sort of something we're in the in the, in the process of getting set up.
4: Uh-huh. Somebody else want to uh, jump
3: in in terms of uh, Heather? I mean,
4: I mean everything that Eugenia said. Yeah. and This is precisely it. I, um, I mean, I in some ways, I, I'm not I'm not that concerned that the the site's going to somehow outlive its. Usefulness. I, in fact, actually, I sort of trust that it'll recognize its own finitude. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's time to, you know, close it down. It's time to close it down. But I think, yeah, exactly. At this point, I mean, I think that idea of the distribution of responsibility and thinking if someone else kind of taking charge of developing some of these projects that the site is clearly, you know, good at supporting, um, is, is really ideal. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and as long as it continues to be useful it, and, and, I mean, I think that's just really the key. As long as it continues to be a, a resource for people, then I think, you know, then it's worth the kind of hidden labor that, that goes into making these, mm-hmm. these, uh, contributions available. And, you know, the, the kind of, you know, this, this, this kind of network of communication that happens behind the scenes to, to make something possible, I think is, you know, there is a lot of work there, but as long as it, you know, as long as it's, it's resulting in something that, you know, we, we all feel, we can all sort of agree that it's worthwhile, I think, that you know it has a, a kind of nice future, but I don't know what that future is exactly.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
3: There's, you know, there's a couple of other things I would, I would just add to this, um, things that we've discussed a number of times, and that, you know, we, we may be trying to develop. Um, you know, one is that I've, I've wanted for a while to potentially actually um, you know explore more possibilities of uh, non textual kinds of uh, forms of representation um, and I think these last two series, the uh, commonplace and um, the ethnographic field notes have done a great job of yeah. integrating mm-hmm. images um, you know it 's possible that at some point we could do more with audio um, you know the, this this new books network has done an amazing job of. Um, of, of, of using that uh, medium uh, so wonderfully, um, and, I, and I think that there, there's 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 so much that can be done around audio, um, kind of linked up with uh, ethnographic uh, sensibility mm-hmm. that would be interesting to explore. But again, that's a whole you know, <laughs> it's a, a huge investment of, of time and energy that that would take. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing that I think we need to think about is, um, and again, this is a kind of an infrastructural question that has probably been worked out better by, um, you know, some of the new online, uh, uh, online online-only sites, uh, uh, journals. But the question of how um, to make the post into something that has a sort of a a life beyond its, um, you know, beyond the time that it appears on your. in, in your um, in, you know, screen as, as the, the, the last the, the, the news feed, right, as it were. Um, so, the question of whether we can have something like we've, we've investigated the possibility of getting DOI numbers or something of that sort mm-hmm. to identify posts, and that's been a little, little difficult, but I think that somewhere we need to move in the direction of um, kind of legitimate those things a, a little bit more mm-hmm. so they have um, so that they, they they are able to have, have a life a little bit beyond this 72-hour um, um, <laughs> shelf life of uh, blog posts or yes. whatever it is.
2: <laughs> this question of legitimation also pertains to the um, problem of um, people uh, making this count for all of the people who work in academia, which seems like it's the majority yes. of your contributors. How have you? You certainly yes. don't seem to be lacking for um, substantial contributors, both at the early career stage and the you know people who are more senior in your career, their careers. Um, have you seen any changes in this over time? And I'm wondering, even on your own vitas, does this stuff count um, in your university lives? Either your contributions or your editorial work.
4: Yeah that's a you know that's a tough question um and in part I mean I think it's a question of how to translate the site to those who within you know a university context are doing the assessing I mean I just mm-hmm. I've just gone through the tenure process and you know I I don't know how it factored into the decisions on the part of you know the college and the university um but it's certainly I mean for me it's always been it's been a very kind of transparent way of of contributing to the field um, and whether or not it's the, the product is something like, you know, a published paper or a published review and whether or not it gets counted the same as, as a journal has never really been that much of an issue. It's really, it's really just been the, the kind of scholarly activity that's, that's, that w- that's being recognized. But I think that that is changing along the lines that Eugene kind of outlined, That mm-hmm. there is sort of a desire to, to make sure that, you know, there's a recognition um, of the, the significance and reach of of these pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, we, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time tracking numbers of hits for pieces and, and downloads and things just to, you know, just so we're aware of, of kind of what's getting traction and what's not. And I think the job in the future is really going to be finding ways to, to mm-hmm. translate that for people who may or may not be as, um, as, I guess, sympathetic to this kind of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I oh, and I, also
3: recognizing the fact that we... Sorry. No, no, keep, go, go, go. Oh, uh, just recognizing the, the fact that we live in very, you know, all, even among the, the, those of us having this conversation, live in different kinds of um, uh, worlds in terms of the, the, the kind of metrics mm-hmm. by yeah. which our scholarship are, is, is, is measured, right? I mean, especially, I think, in Europe. Emily, you can speak... Mm-hmm. This this is a a, a a very different kind of system has been put into place over the last uh, five to ten years.
5: Yeah, certainly. I I was also going to say though, just even outside, I think keeping the labor relations issues and who's contributing and who's in the work is really important. Mm-hmm. But it's also really, I mean, I I think it's great to be able to, you know, I've asked the PhDs and postdocs to contribute and. People are excited to see yeah. their, excited to see like that their work it gets an audience. And, and yeah. that's, you know, yeah. there's something really valuable in that too. And, and I was going to say there's also something really yeah. valuable in kind of, as, as people discuss anthropology needing to become more public, you know, needing to sort of, you know, I think, um, because there's, you know, no piece gets through, at least to my knowledge, without a few stage, you know, in, I can take for the ethnographic case, we do a lot of editing and yeah. then there's, you know, uh, copy editing on top of that and, you know, kind of no piece gets onto the site without a lot of people looking over it. And if you're a graduate student, you know, writing or contributing, there's something really nice about being able to have a public voice um, in a well read site that somebody else has kind of protected you a little bit by editing, you know, editing what you're doing. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of training for how to, how to kind of create a ability to write for a public, broader audience as well, which I think is really, you know, um, I, think that's, I think people want that, and that's, it's quite valuable to learn how to write, you know, a kind of uh, piece that ha- you have to consider also um, your, your reader and kind of your storytelling ability and um,
2: your audience.
3: Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, do you want, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about?
3: Eugene. Well, I guess I would just make a, I I, I guess I'd like to to use this as an opportunity to speak to folks who are listening to this right now and to say that um, to kind of offer an invitation to anyone to um, get in touch with us. If you're interested in contributing uh, a piece for the site, if you're interested in getting more involved in somehow in, um, other aspects of work on the site, um, we you know have a lot of people who are doing different kinds of things um, to do with the site, and um, there's there's a lot of ways to get um, to, to get involved and do do different kinds of interesting work and and, and uh, really contribute. Um, so that's just please get in touch with us.
2: How would they best do that?
3: Yes. <laughs> um, so one way uh, is to kind. Con- contact uh diana day our uh, managing editor um and 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 she's on the masthead on the
2: site she's on the
3: masthead right so you should be able to pull up her information there the other way is just to write to our uh, contact email which is admin at uh, somatosphere.net and that's something one of us checks all the time
2: okay fantastic Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, I really have enjoyed it. And I I love your site, and I read it regularly. Thanks for all your creative efforts um, going forward. Uh, I look forward to seeing how this evolves. Um, So thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you.